today we are talking with Zach Henson. Zach is uh, one of Brian's former colleagues, uh, former Green Beret, and currently chief research officer for a cybersecurity firm. We're going to dive into uh, Zach's history as a Green Beret, as well as what he does currently to help companies fend off cyber attacks and uh, and even kind of some physical attacks on their premises. Join us as we dive deep into the the world of sneakers. Broadcasting from everywhere and nowhere, the Misfit Crew at Southfleet HQ is proud to bring you the Dive Living Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Die Living Podcast brought to you by Softleet. We have been away for a while as we have moved into a new office, but we're back and we're proud to be bringing you our close friend, Zachary Henson. Uh, he and Brian go away. Just Zach. Yeah, just Zach. Just Zach. Right. Or, or you can call him Zach, man. You can call me Zach. The Zachary... Well, Zachary. Z-Town. Z-Town. It's a, it says Zachary on the screen, so that's what I went with. But, that's his uh, Christian name. Right. Zach would that's like. my Christian name. <laughs> Don't you have to hide your name. identity, Zach? Is Zach no, really just really. a cover name? Right. Yeah. We'll, we'll find out. His real name is Dick Bingo. Right. <laughs> Stop it. This is my name. So code name. Things are going to get ruined fast. <laughs> <laughs> Zach and Brian go way back, and uh, today on the podcast, we're going to talk not only about their history, but also about what Zach has done since uh, since leaving the Green Berets, the the fine fighting element that he and Brian were on together, their ODA. Yeah, man, so. I wanted to invite Zach on because he typifies what I think of as super unique in Special Forces, which is to say, if you met Zach, like you would never like think like here's a dude that's like a guy that's a Green Beret. And that's not to say he's not in shape, but that's not to say he's not handsome because he's dashingly handsome. He's in a cable knit sweater and a beanie right now. And he might be vaping, but all of these, all, all of the <laughs> his oh hair. Oh my god! god damn it! Hair. He took it's his beanie off, and his his blonde hair just fell in his face. The opposite of Doug, who yesterday yeah, exactly. was, <laughs> was yes was pegged by a UPS guy with about thirty seconds of. Uh, Dude, I was like, I was like, uh, he's like, hey, do you drive that truck? I was like, I do not look like someone who would drive that truck, do I? I? That guy does. And he goes, no, you just look like some old special forces guy doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> no, God man. damn it. I was it. like, man, that is, that is almost too accurate. I thought yeah. he was an enemy of the state. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a spy? Do you have information on us? No, but Well, Zach, you guys haven't seen all my Spartan tattoos. What's that? You haven't seen all my Spartan tattoos. I, oh yeah, all I of only your... have one, Zach. Why do you have to bring up the storm? Is point? that what you do? You just sheepdog all the time when we're not around with your <laughs> Punisher skulls and such. Oh yeah, dude, I've got I got a Punisher skull spray painted on my fucking car. You on your, a, on you your Jeep a... Wrangler with no. the, the Molon Lab tire yeah. carrier. No, he's got a Toyota Prius with a three percenter sticker on it. I'm sure. <laughs> it's it, yeah, totally. Um, it's okay. yeah. Zach and I deployed. Zach and I deployed to uh, the, the Congo together. And uh, that's where we really got to know each other. Because, you know, National Guard, you don't know anyone really until you deploy with them because you see them like one week in a month. Well, not even one week in a month, like one weekend whenever people feel like showing up. <laughs> and 
So yeah, so we I met Zach right before the deployment. He was uh, one of the other communications guys in the team, and um, it's very rare that you meet guys that actually know what the fuck they're talking about when it comes to like modern communications. And part of that is due to like active duty. You just don't have time. Like the military pigeonholes you as a communications guy into this like military radio systems, all that sort of stuff. Whereas the reality is most of what people are using, most of what the enemy is using is commercial off the shelf stuff. You know, they're using WhatsApp, they're using Wi-Fi, they're using cell phones to communicate. They're not using radio systems anymore. So the ability to, to be able to leverage your, your knowledge in that is important on the battlefield. But most people don't know. Most people aren't computer nerds, right? The sort of people that's going to be – person's going to be drawn to the military that is that sort of person that's very smart is probably going to go to the NSA. They're probably going to go to some other three-letter agency, but not necessarily in the military and certainly not into like the raw, raw like culture of special forces. Well, Zach is the exception – and um, so we had a good time in uh, in Africa, and I learned a lot. We had a lot of downtime in Africa because the missions were pretty arduous. You know, you'd go out, you'd basically dehydrate yourself for three or four days. You'd come back, and you need a week to refit. So a lot of that time, Zach and I would take and like do a bunch of like hacker games and like com- computer science crap, and it was freaking cool, man. So well, let's let's take it back just a little bit because uh, yeah, I mean. As, as Brian pointed out, and seeing you right now, clearly you're not the at least the stereotypical Green Beret. So, how did you find yourself going into not only the Army but also into Special Forces? It's funny when people say I'm not the stereotypical Green Beret because we're on a pa- podcast. I, I'm, I'm wondering what people are picturing in their head. Not but you. Definitely, <laughs> definitely not you. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm like, I, I hope they think I'm like six and a half feet tall and like weigh 130 pounds. Right? No one's picturing <laughs> that. Don't, don't, if that's your worry, <laughs> set it aside. <laughs> um, that's a, that's an interesting question. I, so I, um, after I graduated from college, I moved to New York. Where did you graduate college from? Leading question. I, uh, I went to the California Institute of Technology, which is a, an engineering school. Yes. A good engineering school. It is. Uh, it is. It is, a, it is a good engineering school. Did you go I'll, to Harvard? I'll, what's that? <laughs> Did I go yeah. to Harvard? Um, uh, no, I actually wanted to learn something. So I didn't, I didn't go to Harvard. Um, <laughs> Brian almost uh, spit his kombucha out. We're all drinking kombucha in honor of you, Zach. How about uh, them I should apples? have brewed my own kombucha. Oh, well, hipster one-upsmanship. Yeah. I, How surprised yeah, I am. Shit, to the fucking max, dude. That shit's, <laughs> Not as easy as it looks. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I gave some of my wife today. She was like, this is just straight vinegar. You suck at this. And I was like, God damn it. <laughs> um, so I graduated from college. I was super um, moto about like working in finance and making a shitload of money. So I went into finance doing like computer programming, quantitative mo- modeling. When did you uh, graduate? 2007. All right. So right, right before, right before finance really picked up, you know what I mean? Right, 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 right before the 2008 boom in the financial. <laughs> um, I mean, literal, literal boom. Like, yeah, your timing is impeccable. The timing's impeccable. Um, and so I wanted to get into like trading and high frequency trading, and I did that for a couple of years. Realized I didn't really like it. I thought the culture was kind of gross, and um, 
What about the culture like was gross? Meaningless existence. Um, I mean, kind of the, the, the stereotypes you might think about it. It's, it's pretty bland. Um, there are definitely interesting people there. It's a weird collection of a lot of people who kind of drift into the industry who are very smart, but don't really know what they want to do. And so they're like, well, I guess I'll do the thing that makes me the most money. Cause that's kind of like a nihilistic logical choice, right? Just like, ah, oh, it makes money. So I'll do it. So I kind of did that too. So I was hanging out with a bunch of, you know, sort of like intellectual mercenaries for a while. Were you working um, for a hedge fund or like an investment bank or just kind of a prop firm? I worked for a, a large, um, they do a lot of things. It wasn't an investment bank. It was like a portfolio management company All right. um, for two years. And then I, uh, I quit to become a DJ because I was 24 and that's a cool thing that you can do. What was your DJ and, but, name? Uh, I don't want to say because some of our mixes are still online and it might be embarrassing. <laughs> um, mine is DJ freaky D I'm yeah. a DJ of the universe. I'm just simply DJ <clears throat> sex, but <laughs> so I did that for a while. And then I went to go work for a prop firm. And while I was doing that, uh, a good buddy of mine, um, was in the national guard and had just gone to selection and was kind of waiting around to go to the Q course. And he was like, we were joking around. Well, we were joking around one day and this was right after like we, we rolled and uh, at a party and like, when I say rolled, I mean like we were, we were grappling and he like choked me out. Uh, I and I was, like, he was, I was like, that was fucking, that was fucking dope, bro. And he was like, oh man, you should, uh, you should, you should like try out for special forces. He said that like jokingly. And then I was like, Hmm. So I worked for this prop trading firm for a while. And then I was just like, fuck it. I'll do special forces. I hate working in finance and I want to do something that's <laughs> the polar opposite of what I'm currently doing, which is being a pseudo hipster working in finance in New York. So what's the, what's the most different from that that I can think of that's within reach. I don't want to do some shit where I'm like, I'm going to go to Nepal and like talk to monks and get a thousand dollar like ball massage from some guy with a bunch of fucking incense. I was like, I want to do something that's like, gonna really like slam me in the side of the head and maybe change my perspective perception of things so i i, I uh i joined the army and I, re- um, I, I do like the sound of a thousand dollar ball massage from a dude with incense though i was wondering yeah, i just, said the it, ball massages then, really cost a thousand dollars in tibet <laughs> <laughs> i think you're getting ripped off man right well, well the, with the plane ticket and all the clothes total cost of massage <laughs> <laughs> worth every last penny so so when did you go through the q course man uh i let me see 2011 2013 then right. came back to new york um got married and then worked started working um for a development firm that does like software development because i was like oh, i need a day job while i'm not at uh, doing doing guard stuff or doing training, and then within like three months of me getting four months of me getting back, I like I deployed. Where'd you and deploy then, to? Uh, well, I deployed to Kuwait, and then that was around the time that like that's the not whole, a real I, deployment. No, it's not a real deployment. However, <laughs> however, you're, you're you're absolutely correct, and 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 like everyone was very very um sure to tell me that. 
as and I am tell now. Tell me to go to go fuck myself. <laughs> was this was this a sitcom gotta... like a uh, command mission that you got to go and sit around and you drove a rental car and like hung out yep. at pools? Yeah, I, lo- I love those. Those it are the was best. dope. It was dope because it was it was hanging out with like random rich people and 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 just just living the life in Kuwait. And it lasted for three weeks. And then at the end of three weeks, I ended up in fucking Baghdad. Oh. But that was. That was less fun. Were you with with were you with our boy Dead Tooth? Who's Dead Tooth? Uh, ugly, old uh, Anders. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I, I I lived in a chew next to Anders. I love that guy so much, man. Dead Tooth. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where's that come from? Uh, well, you can't actually be nice to anyone in special forces, so you basically find their least attractive physical quality and then give them a nickname based on that. <laughs> so Anders has since had his black tooth fixed, replaced, whatever, but he had a uh, dead root for like years that made his breath smell terrible. So we called him Dead Tooth. A good friend of ours <laughs> in the Q course who is a terrific soldier and a wonderful gentleman, has some acne scarring from teenage years. <laughs> significant. Significant acne, acne scarring. And uh, he was lovingly called by another member on our team, shotgun meat grinder face. <laughs> now, it's funny because it's so long. <laughs> and never abbreviated one time, no. even in anger. Hey, fucking shotgun meat grinder face, get over here. It's like, Jesus Christ, man. Turn the lights off when you talk to me. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Amazing. Oh, love. All right. So, obviously, you had some roots in software development if you were working for, like, an algo, you know, high-frequency trading type firm before yeah. going to the military. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you and Brian were deployed in the Congo – that's when you guys started these like hacking competitions. Is that right? Well, yeah. Well, I mean, it was more of like so. Zach, I'm a I'm pretty decent with computers. Zach is incredible with computers, and so like right. it had been a long time since I'd been around somebody on a day to day level that had like I was just like Zach was probably getting freaking <laughs> frustrated with me because like hey man like can we do this thing or will you show me this thing or whatever like quick story about Zach we had um, satellite internet. They're provided by some provider through the military out of Europe. So we had a satellite. It was bouncing up to a satellite, bouncing down into Europe and, like, hitting the net from there. Well, we were having, like, horribly slow internet. And Zach and I started kind of looking around and figuring out, trying to figure out what it was. We were having, like, for to, not to get too technical, we were, it was dropping, like, 50% or 75% of the packets that it was sending out. It's mm-hmm. so like, for every every four you sent out, only one made it through. So it was just, like literally not even a bandwidth issue, just like a connectivity issue. So Zach like goes into his chew and freaking hacker mans, you know, like there's like matrix streams going on, like picture, <laughs> picture, um, Hugh Jackman, you know, like with all the screens dancing around, you know, listening to music. And he finds like the IP address, I think, or the Mac address of a, of a card bridge card in Europe that had failed and was causing our packet loss and called the people and told him, like, hey, man, at this address, there's a card that's, like, malfunctioning. It's failing, and it's causing connectivity issues. And they're like, oh, yeah, right, whatever. And then, like, he called back four hours later. They're like, oh, yeah, so you were totally right. Uh, we totally replaced the card. And then all of a sudden, our internet was, like, magically much, much faster. Wow. I was like, and point Zach. <laughs> and I put him in for an 
an Army Achievement Medal, it got downgraded to an Article 15, so that's fucking Yeah. No, yeah, I'm, they're I'm like, uh, you're not supposed to directly contact these people. And I was like, well, they shouldn't put their fucking information on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, and... Oh, what was I going to say? Um, yeah, Brian and I did a lot of stuff, and Brian was great, too, because he was motivated to, like, play all the games. And I had, I had kind of had a little bit of a background in security when I was in high school and gotten into it. And uh, I had decided stupidly in high school that like security would fix itself and all the problems with security would be gone in like 10 or 15 years because people will get their shit together. And man, I was not right about that. That was that was a dumb thing to think. Um, <laughs> I mean, when you say you got into security in high school, I feel like that's a like, what does that mean? Um, it means I was into doing like hacking stuff and hung out with people who did the same thing. And then also uh, there was a group of people at the, uh, I grew up in San Antonio and San Antonio is kind of like a hub for cybersecurity. And so when I was in high school, I got mentored by a few people who, um, uh, worked in the industry. Um, there are a couple of people, if anybody out there is familiar with hacker groups, they're like people associated with 303 and then they went to go work in like the public sector, private sector. And they sort of mentored me and I started like down a pipeline to go into that route. And then, um, just abruptly tacked and changed course, which is something I, I tend to do likewise, <laughs> as, as you may as, have noted. Um, well, and, and that's true for a lot of guys in special operations, you know, like sort of this, this ADD for whatever your vocation is, which is why special operations is attractive to so many people. Cause you can just kind of like flit around and figure out what you want to do. And when that gets boring, you can flit to the next thing. So, and so, I mean, it sounds like maybe that's that, that seed for what you're doing right now is planted, you know, quite a long time ago. And it was just a, a circuitous route to kind of finally end up where you are right now. Can you tell us anything about what you're doing right now? What your current job is? Yeah, I can I can tell you I am the chief research officer for a company called Nisos and we provide I'm going I sound like I'm going into a uh, a sales pitch I'm like we provide services. Um uh I, it's like hold on I'm going to get this um woman with an attractive British voice to tell you about my job. Um <clears throat> uh we do full scope like network operations which means we we do defensive offensive um uh, we do like uh, threat intelligence gathering um, for companies that enlist our services. And my job, primarily, I started off at the company as an as an operator, and I wouldn't have I wouldn't have gotten my foot in the door there if it weren't for special operations, because kind of the the network of people, um, and I won't go into detail who who they are, but like we're sort of like someone on our deployment noticed that I was good at computers and. A friend of his knew somebody who was who worked at this company, and the company got got founded by some um, f- some of the folks were former special forces, and they they I reached out to them, and they sort of like hired me on as a contractor, and then I I kind of like worked my way up, and we grew as an organization, and um I kind of worked myself into the position I have now, um doing doing research and um, working on doing red team engagements, which we can we can talk about, um, without, you know, going into client specifics or anything like that. But, um, yeah, it's, it's been really, really fun. We basically get hired to break into companies and then teach them how to fix their stuff. 
And the red team stuff, is this both a uh, cyber and physical component, or is it strictly focused on the cyber side? Uh, it depends. Well, you get what you pay for. Um, so it's <laughs> fair enough. Sometimes it's purely network operations. We we simulate like if someone were to gain access to a laptop that belongs to a low level employee, like how far can they get? Right. Like mm-hmm. if you're a large industrial company with like factories all over the world, what if someone like can plug into an Ethernet port at one of your factories? Can they get to all the other factories? Can they get to like your main corporate network that's that's totally cyber based right but then sometimes we do black box assessments where a company is like we're not going to tell you anything or give you any sort of foothold just try to get at us and we go in from the outside we gather intelligence on them there's a physical component we sometimes have to talk our way into um a building or a or talk our way into getting access to something um, sometimes there's a little bit of B and E. Usually it's not necessary, but a little bit of B and E. A little, a little bit of B and E. Just a scooch. Just a scoochy scooch B and E. I right. mean, is it really B and E if the door's unlocked? I like that when we first started talking to Zach about this. Like I, like I'm hanging out at Drill and I'm getting this like kind of like brief wave top thing from him. Like so, basically, you're uh, the girl with a dragon tattoo. And he's like, uh, exactly. Like there was no argument. <laughs> that well, is me. And I do want to back up a little bit just for people that are listening that may not be familiar. You know, can you give kind of the concept or, the, you know, give a little bit of an explanation of kind of what are, what is a red team? Um, you know, how does like the black and white concept fit into the, the spectrum there? I'm not sure what you mean by the black and white concept. Well, I mean, like, what kind of hat are you wearing? Like white hat. Oh, yeah. hat. I mean, we're, so we're. I would say we're white hat because we're not doing anything illegal. However, or some people might call it gray hat because there's certain like techniques that you learn that are like sneaky. But it's 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 white hat because we're not we're not breaking the law. And we're not. I think right. he's. I think. Well, I think Aaron's people. asking for you to kind of like maybe break it down into bigger pieces for yeah, us like, simpletons. Like if gotcha. I don't know anything about this, what are, what does white hat mean? What does black hat mean? What is a red team, etc.? Okay, I gotcha. Um, so typically speaking, in the parlance of hackerdom, I can't believe I just said those words. Um, you are it, uh, so stupid. <laughs> um, black hat hackers are people who hack for profit illegally. In other words, they go on, they sell their services online, they work for criminal organizations, they launder money, they set up um, illegal computer operations, network operations, you know, like they sell their services over things like the former Silk Road on the on the so-called dark web. Um, white hat hackers are people who try to help improve security by... Um, publicly posting about like flaws that they find or informing companies like, Hey, you need to, you need to like fix this security hole. You need to do this or more broadly, white hat hackers can also include um, people who sell their services to companies to, to increase their security. And so red teaming is on the white hat hacker side because basically a company hires us to go in and try to attack their network or their security in general. Um, and see if we can find ways to to get in legally if you guys did like is there a line where it 
do you need the permission beforehand? I know a lot of, I know there's like a bounty hunting culture, you know, the companies yeah. will offer bounties. Like at what point does it like venture into illegality as that? Like if you guys decided like, Hey man, Google has like a hundred thousand dollar bounties or something, that would be a good thing to go down and try to start penetrating their networks to see if we could find some of these bugs. Like, is that, is that illegal or is that considered like within the realms of white hat hacking? So that's, that's another, that's a good point to bring up there. You can sort of break down hacking if you want to talk broadly uh, into, into different kinds of like silos of like what people do. And one of them is software exploitation. And the other one is sort of like network penetration. Um, software exploitation is like finding a bug in a software program that lets you remotely compromise it. And that's usually due to like a coding error or coding problem. And, uh, people who find those bugs are highly specialized and usually experts in that one domain. Um, they reverse engineer applications. They find holes. They write what are called exploits for them that you can run against machines and, and break in. And we don't really do much of that. We do a little bit because we do some application testing. Uh, but we don't do that full time because, like, really, it only makes sense from a business standpoint to do that full time uh, if it's a small group of people and you're dedicated to, like, one or two projects. Um, so we mostly do the network penetration side, which is like try to use all of the different programs that are out there and all the potentially unpatched computers that are on a network to try to break in or some physical exploit or some social engineering, which is talking people into giving you their password or manipulating your way into a building and plugging into a wall. See if you can get in that way. So more like the movie stuff. Mm hmm. Sweet. We mostly do. We mostly do that, uh, and then we do like defensive side stuff where we we help people build uh, a, a perimeter around their assets and protect people abroad. Um, we also do a little bit of well, not a little bit, actually a lot of bit of forensics. Um, it used to be a little bit. We've been doing that more and more. Um, which is if companies suspect they've been broken into, we we try to confirm or deny that. Um, if someone's been attacked, we try to find out who the person attacking them is um, and stop them. Uh, we don't we don't do what's traditionally called hacking back, which means if we find out who it is, we don't break into their machines and fuck up their stuff because that, that's also illegal. Uh, but we will try to, like, help law enforcement track them down. Right. Yeah. I mean, the companies are, you know, are they vindictive? Is there... I kind of like picture in my mind, this is probably a Hollywood thing that there's, you know, this like whole sub level of, you know, corporate cyber espionage where, you know, companies are, are battling each other out like on this, you know, dark web, like you, you mentioned before, but it could just be that I'm totally over romanticizing the notion of it in my mind. Um, I think it's, we've seen that rarely if it's large companies and that's mostly due to the fact that like the, the potential gain from doing that is okay. But like the blowback from getting caught doing something like that is so big and large right, companies are so huge. risk averse that they're never, ever going to do that because it sure. just doesn't make any sense. Like that's not to say that they don't. Um, uh, I just, I haven't really seen that happen that much. 
Um, there's, there's, there's other legal ways for companies to fuck with each other that, that right. are more effective than like risking that. Because if you did that, you'd have to have someone operating anonymously that couldn't be tied to you. And at that point, like, can you trust someone to do this? And you like, you can how, trust no one. You can trust no one. Right. Um, more often than not, people who hire stuff to do that are like individuals or like individual small business owners that want to like attack somebody they don't like. And, um, companies like ours, it's not just ours, get approached by people to do that all the time and turn them away. Right. No, that, that makes sense. So, you know, in your specific role as chief research officer, you know, like what, what are the types of things that you are researching? Uh, so researching different types of attacks, building out, um, new tools to help us, uh, perform our attacks and generally just sort of like trying to suck up all the knowledge from these different, like different groups on different, uh, what we call engagements, which is when you're working with the client, um, like a red team engagement, try to try to pull together all the knowledge that we've gathered from those and put it into like, okay, so this is something that we need to work on. Kind of like if you had a bunch of ODAs deployed and you had someone who would spend a little bit of time on each ODA and then sort of like pull together all that knowledge and try to say like, okay, well, this is like a pattern that I, we've been seeing. Like we need to, we need to build a tool that does this because right now people are doing it by hand. So let's like, let's automate this. Let's make this go faster. Like that's, gotcha. that's organ let's write some new SOPs to do X, Y, and Z. Are there external sources that you use to kind of see, you know, what are the threats going to be like six months from now? You know, what are the threats going to be 12 months from now that we're not seeing? I'm sure, or I'm guessing that there's got to be some kind of, you know, forward speculation and planning like that. And so, you know, is that kind of based on reading between the lines and like the daily news or is there, you know, uh, industry forums or things like that, that, you know, people are getting together or is it, there's you know, lots of forums just, out there. Um, people try to stay abreast of new attacks. Um, kind of one of the things which we've focused on is that a lot of times security companies come and go really quickly because as soon as they're good at what they do, they they get so sucked into doing the work at the moment that they don't have time to keep up with like the new technique, right? It'd be like if you had some DA team that had really good tactics but they got so many jobs and they had so many missions that they never had time to train up and adapt their adapt new tactics. So by the time that like they finally get downtime, they're like two years behind what's like fresh and new. Right. Sure. And so like we try to, we try to rotate people out. So they have, they have like their free time to investigate, like go, you know, like do what they want to do, do something that they think is interesting. So that way they can find some cool new way to, to break in. What is the profile of like the average person that you're defending against? Oh like, man, is, I don't even know just, how to like <laughs> all everything, like small really? businesses, large businesses, uh, big corporations, um, individuals, like it really just depends. So, but would you say most of the attacks that you're dealing with are coming from like large organizations or are they more like mafia? You know, everyone has this. Oh, like, I don't mean coming from, I mean like who are, who are like, like who our clients are. Uh, attacks. No, no, no. Um, attacks are usually coming from people who, who are like ransomware attacks have kind of gone down lately, but they're still around. Sometimes people are just doing it for fun. Sometimes people are doing it to 
uh, make a name for themselves in the an underground community, uh, or they're or they're trying to steal data and sell it. Because is there is there a, a rich <clears throat> market for that? I mean, is it a lucrative thing to get into if you are if you're a like you know I know that the right at, at some point if your skills are a certain level and you're unscrupulous. Like there's the white hat side and there's the black hat side. And it seems like the money is pretty good on the white hat side. The bug bounties have been going up and um, you know, there's a lot more companies like yours that are on the thing. But is it lucrative enough that someone would still want to go to the black hat side? <laughs> yeah. Um, and usually the, the reason why is it <clears throat> not a lot of people are. Well, actually, no, a lot of people are pretty good at it on the black hat side. Um and and there are plenty of people who who will do it because they can sell it for che- they sell data for cheap but like they're selling it at such a large volume like say if i if i steal like the username and password for like thousands of users from some app that everyone's using like i'm i'm going to sell that data set for like $20 but i might sell it to yeah. thousands of people so i just made 20 grand doing that it's it's worth it. And a lot of people just use it to like fun. It's like a lifestyle choice, right? Like you hack stuff every yeah. once in a while, you do a data dump, you get paid on the dark web, like, and then people know that you're good. You also get hired. You can get hired doing infrastructure, like it stuff for, for people who are doing illegal, uh, legal stuff. Like there's nothing, there's nothing that vets you better in uh, the criminal community than already being a criminal, right? Cause you've already demonstrated yeah. that you're not afraid to break the law. So like, sure. you're not going to, Snit. You're not gonna necessarily like. I mean, you might snitch, but you're not necessarily going to uh, be afraid and like puss out, right? Yeah. Well, I know a lot of people are probably wondering, like, well, how does this relate to me? And like, mm-hmm. I know, you know, you feel free to correct me. Obviously, you're the expert, but most of the people I know that were quote unquote hacked was were victims of their own password reuse for the most part. Like, they would one of these lists that you said, like maybe some small website that they were a part of or a a message board that they were a part of that had unpatched software was penetrated. All the username and passwords were stolen and their email address was attached to that profile. And the person that had the email and the password just tried to log into that email account with Mm -hmm. that password. And then now they had control of everything that person had because they could reset every password that guy person had because their email was the recovery for it. Right. So they would just be completely compromised, all their bank accounts and everything because they didn't have two-factor authentication turned on and they had a quote-unquote strong password that they had reused across every website because it was hard to remember. Mm -hmm. So they had basically compromised themselves. And that actually taps into an important point about the uh, previous question, which is, why would you hack into something? What are you going to do with the data is like the end consumer of a lot of that data are people who do identity theft. They're people who have the networks to launder money so they can because like if I if I can break into your bank account, I mean, big deal, right? Like I break into your bank account. What am I going to do with the money? Wire it to myself? Like, I think they're going to figure out who did it if I wire the money to myself. But if I break into your bank account, maybe I maybe I can't you use that information um personally but i can sell it to somebody who has like mules to like wire the money to and then they they take the money out turn it into cash or they transfer it into into bitcoin launder it through a couple of exchanges and then pay it back to themselves right 
Um, yeah. So like that's kind of the way that that whole pipeline works is there's large data breaches. They sell it to identity thieves. Identity thieves then um, take the take the access and and um, use it to to pull money out of people's accounts, um, commit wire fraud, open up things in people's account, open up credit cards in people's accounts, and then like spend as much money as they can, turn it into cash, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, um, another thing you touched on is, is password reuse is like, it's so hard not to reuse a password. Um, uh, I use the same one all the time. I had to say it on one of these podcasts one time. Brent was like laughing about it. And mm. then I had to go back and change all my passwords <laughs> to something different. But the same thing across everything. I'm ripe for identity theft. It's the best. Yeah. And, and a lot of times we, we, we will go our, our first foothold into a company on an external assessment will be like, okay, well, the company says you have to log into their company portal, username and password. I'm like, okay, well, we do a little bit of sneaking around analyze the company, looked at LinkedIn profiles, find out who works the company. Okay, run that list of users against uh, password databases. Uh, a good one to check, and I'll say it again later, is have I been pwned? Like, have I been, and then P-W-N-E-D. Um, check that out, type in your email address, type in whatever account you have, and it runs it against publicly available like password databases that people have hacked and like uploaded and it'll tell you if your password has at some point been cracked, uh, in which case hmm. you should probably change your password because it'll tell you when it got when it got. I remember looking at that site and uh, being like, wow, you know, like 12, 12 hits. Yeah, I'm, right. in, I'm in your base killing all your dudes. <laughs> I mean, you're the subject matter expert. I know a lot of people like I, I've, I've always felt that like cybersecurity experts and like network security experts were kind of like the uh, drill sergeant in full metal jacket with the, with the lock, you know, it's like, you know, if it wasn't for people like you, there wouldn't be any theft in this world. You know, like if it wasn't for people like having really, really loose security practices when it comes to their network, it'd be much, much harder for people to compromise networks. Obviously that's not true, but um, what are the best practices for people to do? Like just a regular person, like, what would you recommend is like, say that, you know, the top two or three or four things that someone needs to be doing. Use a password manager. Um, cause, I, uh, use a password manager, like key pass is a good password manager. And basically what that is, is it's like a encrypted file. You open, um, it stores everything in an encrypted like vault, uh, which is just a file and you have a password for that vault. You, you, that password never go is never used on any other computer system. It's just used on your own local computer to open up this vault. And then in that file, you have different passwords for every account that you have. So you don't have to memorize the passwords. You generate random 16 character strings to be your password for websites. And then when you want to log in, you open up the vault, you copy and paste it into like the, the login. So that we don't have to reuse passwords. Like I have, I have, I think looking real quick, let me see. I have like 70 different passwords, different accounts oh, for things. Jesus. Um, well, well, look at you little man, man about the internet. Well, yeah. I mean like every, every server <laughs> that I set up has a different password. Every, every real or fake account that I set up has a password. So like, I don't want those to all be the same. But yeah. but the the password I use to encrypt all those is very long. It's like a yeah. it's like a sentence with random characters thrown in between the words, and then numbers thrown in, and then like other keywords 
it's 35 characters long. I but memorized that's it. The, that's the only one you have to remember. It's the only one I have to remember. And it's unbreakable. You know, no super 35 character password. It would take a trillion years for a supercomputer to crack. Those are the ones that Apple generates that are like 4-4-4. And I'm like, ah, fuck this. I'm never remembering this. Yeah. Is that what we're talking about? We're not supposed to remember that. (laughs) Also, don't use any – this is this is this is a pro tip because this this legitimately works. We'll start – I'll start getting into – we don't disclose our clients, but I will disclose like how we've broken into them before because some of the stories are pretty funny. Um, Don't use a password that's like, oh, you have to change your password every three months. This is another thing that companies do that I think is kind of dumb is they make people change their password like every three months, which in theory – makes sense because it means that their password gets compromised it's only compromised for so long but what ends up happening when you do that is that you pick an easy password one two password, racetrack right and and guess what happens every three months the season changes yep you know you know you know probably about five percent of the people maybe not listening to this but in general about five percent of the people in the world have a password right now that is fall 2018 Oh, that's a great idea. <laughs> or fall 2018 <laughs> exclamation mark. That's a great idea, man. Like you're just giving me another like add me to the five percent. <laughs> a man. That's of a the great pass. Sounds like the password I've got on my luggage. <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, I want to hear some of these stories now. Can you tell us about some of the red team stuff that you guys have done that has been either super interesting or something that you found that is just kind of like mind blowing or. You know, what are what are the good stories that you have? Um, we uh, we've done a, co- a lot of work with like new startups and startups are pretty good uh, about security because they don't have a, like a big Windows network where everything is all connected to a to a single system. Uh, I don't want to get into too much like t- too much of the nerd nerd weeds here. Um, but if you're on a if you're on a like a large company in a large company that has like thousands of users, you're almost definitely using windows because there's no really alternative to use to manage thousands of users from an it standpoint. Um, but if you're working mm-hmm. for a small startup, like it's harder as an attacker because a lot of startups run where all of their applications are in the cloud. And so like you might be able to get access to a user's computer, but that doesn't necessarily give you access to like a whole network. Cause it's not like a workstation sitting in an office building. It's like their laptop. Um, right. And it's and basically the companies are run like a large coffee shop where everyone happens to be working for the same company and they have Wi-Fi. But like guilty. That's yeah. <laughs> what? Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, but the nice thing about startups is like so many people are coming in and out of startups that you you can basically like walk into an office and no one knows who the hell you are and no one will ever question it. So, like, there was a company that we assessed that had a, uh, they had, like, um, they're in, I think they're, that was the one, they're in the Midwest, and they were on, like, the 10th floor of a building, and you couldn't get into the building unless you had an RFID tag, and then you scanned your RFID tag at the elevator, and that took you only to the floor of the company, and then there was, like, a little gate, which sounds like a lot. Right. Unless you just follow somebody in, in which case you just literally like pretend to scan your badge and walk in the elevator. Then you walk in and then you basically have a full run of the place. So when people go to lunch and they leave their laptops at their desks, I can just like run around plugging shit into them 
or plug stuff into the printer or leave behind a device which is behind their network and just sniff traffic off the network and compromise them. Uh, so that was that was a fun one because we basically just walked in and we had prepped for the physical part. Like we had done, you know, like case the place, checked out security, checked to see if like there's a back stairwell. There was, but they had actually, there was, there was actually construction going on. So like just by accident, we couldn't use that. And so we came up with a pretext of like, well, what we're going to do is we're going to look at office space in the building, right? We're going to go talk to the developers, not the developers, the, uh, the owners of the building. And, um, we're going to, we're going to be like, Hmm, yeah, we're, we're interested in buying this office space. And then after the tour of the space, we were just going to kind of hang around in the bathroom and then like walk down two flights of stairs and walk through the office. Um, but before we, but while balls waiting in the lobby for these, for these, uh, owners to show up, I just saw a gaggle of these like 20 something year old kids walking into the elevator. So I just like, like mixed in with them and walked walked like right into the office. Hello, fellow kids. Hello, fellow children. <laughs> this is like uh, what was the movie where the girl went back to high school undercover? What movie was? There that? are many. No, that's true. There are many. <laughs> yeah, which one? She was a reporter. It was an investigative journalist. So that. you're in these in with these kids. Yeah, and then we and then I just plugged my deal into the uh, to the network jack, and then we had access to their to their local network and they had a, they had like one or two file servers that locally that we could pull information off of. Um, uh, it also helped us because we could spearfish people more easily. Um, if people aren't familiar with the term spearfishing is when you get an email that tells you to do something that's trying to steal your password. I think generally people now it's 2018 people, most people know what like phishing and spearfishing are, right? I can make a kind of, well, a lot of people don't understand the nuance of spearfishing, like spearfishing, is also like when it looks super duper legit, you know, it's like has personally identifiable information. So it seems like it's an email that comes from your boss that is talking about something that maybe is gleaned from like the calendar or whatever. It's like, hey, before we have that meeting next week, like make sure you do X, Y, and Z. Click on this link. Yeah, click on this very suspicious looking link. <laughs> yeah. And so we had been a very unsuccessful spearfishing with them because they're actually pretty, they had pretty good security overall. Um, but getting access to their internal network, let us get access to their printer. Uh, we were able to hack into one of their printers and their printers had a fe feature call that was like, Oh, when I scan this email it to me. And so there was like printer at blah, 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 company.com. And so that meant that if, if the email was coming from the IP address of the office or that printer, you could send as anybody in the company. So then, then we could actually like send good emails. Usually spear phishing is the first step to get in, but in this case it was actually like the third step. So that was kind of interesting. Um, <laughs> other fun ones have been like, uh, building, like a lot of times getting, getting in with a good spear fish is like the best feeling because a lot of times if you start with it, with internal access, you kind of feel like you're skipping, you're skipping the step that makes it feel real. Right. Because they're kind of starting you off from like, assume that this is a large company. Assume someone got got their password compromised. Like, what can an attacker do from there? Which is which is honestly the right place to go, because uh, most companies have expensive firewalls, multiple layers of the defense from the outside, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but they're all soft and gooey on the inside. Like every computer can talk <laughs> to every other computer. They think that things are walled off from other things. They aren't. Uh, 
and so um getting in with like getting inside and piercing that like hard outer shell um feels feels pretty good when you do it because it's 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 legit uh yeah have you ever been have you ever been caught doing any of the physical red team stuff nope and not once nope wow uh shockingly uh there was one there was one red team where we had to go in physically and we tried like three different things and each one didn't work. And basically like we ran out of dudes because like if I, cause the office was like, I couldn't just walk in. I had to get buzzed in. And then like the best, the best physical security is like a good receptionist. Like still mm-hmm. the, cause they're going to ask you, what are you doing here? Right. Yeah. So right. like we had to buzz it's, in it's none of your business. You nosy bitch. That's why you always have a hard hat and a clipboard. <laughs> Uh, so we, we, we tried a couple of things. We, we were able to get access to the building fairly easily. Um, and then, but we weren't able to get access to their office. We couldn't even see into their office. They didn't have any windows into it. So we were like, shit. Um, we did a little bit of research. We had, we had ourselves send, well, we, we pretended to be people delivering flowers to an employee at the company so we could get in and deliver them flowers and then be like, can I use your bathroom? And then go plug something in there. Um, but it turns out our research, they hadn't like updated any of their stuff online and they had like just moved. So it didn't make sense for them to get flowers there. Uh, so that didn't work. And it was really awkward and confusing. And we burned one of our guys doing that. Like, obviously, he can't be like, I'm the flower delivery guy. And then show up 10 minutes later and be like, I'm the janitor. <laughs> be like, and, like He's like wearing like a mustache and like glasses. Right. Um, right. So I was the last guy. And um I was like, what am I going to do? And so I, I actually did the easiest pretext that you could possibly do, which was um, looked up their, their security contact online for that location. Um, or actually it was the region above them. Cause I, I thought, you know, if the, if the guy is actually there, he's not, it's not going to work. And I, I came in and I said, um, uh, we're here to perform a security audit. <laughs> and they're like, dude, Okay. And then that's pure, pure Kevin Mitnick, man. Yeah. I was like, we're here to perform a security audit. And they're like, oh, okay, let me go call them. And then they was like, Hey, just wait in this conference room. And I was like, okay. And then while we were in the conference room, I just plugged a device into a phone and then we were, we were, we were in their network and then we were able to like poke around and then use our standard procedures for like going from plugged into a network to getting full access to their database and client information. So what happened after she called the guy? Well, th- this this actually worked because the receptionist wasn't there. We rang a couple times, and I was about to walk away, and then the guy was like, "Oh, our receptionist, she's um, uh, um, actually there there are two receptionists. One was a she, one was a he. So you know, watch it. Gender bias. Um, <laughs> uh, it's your bias. Yeah. This is what happens when you bring a highfalutin New Yorker on the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna. I'm so fucking triggered right now. Um, <laughs> uh, I triggered myself. I do it every night. Yeah, and so like, this was this was this was my most like adrenaline fun moment. And I know there's a lot of guys out there who probably do some physical security stuff, and there and this is like this is pretty low because I've I I know some people have some like pretty batshit crazy stories about like. They're they're moving around an office like in like in the fucking matrix when like the dudes on the phone 
and they're like, go to the go to the cubicle this way. And the dude like runs across <laughs> and security like passes and they go, no, go this way. Like I I there's people who legit have stories like that. Like they have someone with binoculars looking in the window and they're like, okay, now top across here. Um it wasn't like that. It was literally the guy was like, oh, let me go, let me go call this guy. And he left me in the room for like literally 30 seconds. As soon as he rounded the corner, I pulled the shit out of my bag, plugged it in. And then, and then I uh, sat back down in my chair and like he rounded the corner again, like another 15 seconds later. And I was like, sweet, made it. Um, <laughs> Dude, that, that was, that, that was fun. There's a book um, for anybody that's like super interested in this sort of stuff. There's a book written by kind of like the hacker, old hacker extraordinaire, Kevin Mitnick called The Art of Intrusion. Yeah. And in it, there's a story of him hired to, he's hired to red team a casino in Vegas and Ocean's 11 shit, man. Yeah. Ocean's 11 stuff. And that was how he, he tried, he was basically went through the exact same thing you were. He was trying to like mill around and like get into the office and he kept on getting caught. And then finally he just walked up to like somebody who was smoking a cigarette and was like, Hey, I'm here and I'm a security consultant. I'm performing like security testing against your company in like, where is your main security office? And, the lady's like, oh, right this way. And like let him, and he got into the office of like the head security guy mm-hmm. who had the username and password for his computer post-it noted to his monitor because he had to change it every like month or two because of casino pr- procedures. So the guy just like took a cell phone picture of the username and password, sit, sat there and had like a conversation about it. The dude totally outlined everything they had installed. Like here's everything we've done and here's who's doing it, blah, blah, blah. And he went back out. And of course, with that information and while he was there, he put like a Wi-Fi access point in their conference room, you know? And after that, he's like, dude, they were totally, totally compromised. And they got really mad when he presented the report. Like that's cheating, like bullshit. Like it's like that guy did not know that I was there. Like he didn't know above, above him. I was hired. Like he hadn't been read on to the fact that I was conducting this test. He just let me in. And like gave me all this information that's totally in play. And right. they're like, no, fuck you. We're not gonna That's pay, totally but. in play. That's one hundred percent in play. Like yep. and we've gotten pushback on people before too. Like we've had IT, like a lot of companies outsource their IT and like we've had the IT people get like mad at us and like get huffy and puffy in a meeting. And they're like, This oh, I'm is sure. bullshit. Like it's well, like, your job to point out their bullshit, you know, <laughs> and some of the, some of the times it's like they're getting mad at something where I'm where I'm like, look, like I have committed these sins before myself. Like it takes discipline to not do them and it takes effort. Like security is all about effort, right? Like any any secure system can be broken into period. It's just the amount of effort. You just have to make the effort so great that like an attacker, it's not worth their time. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, like it, like if you have to like engineer a chip to like make its way into a server to like compromise a server. Uh, uh, I don't know if you guys heard that Bloomberg story, supposedly like the Chinese yeah, manufacturer. I'm, I was going to ask you actually what your thoughts were on that. Um, you know, I tend to trust reporters when they say that they've done the background research because they put in a lot of effort and they source things well and Bloomberg's a, a very good reporting outlet. So I want to trust the reporting, but at the same time, like the story they have doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. It seems weird in terms of aside from massively compromising, you know, the supply chain that 
I would guess would require somewhat re-engineering these like these circuit boards, uh, you know, without the essentially the client knowing. Uh, just as far as like how the data gets moved then out of the system without anyone knowing seems like, uh, you know, like a big obstacle, but at the same time, I don't know shit about this stuff. So, well, the claim was that there's like a little add on that they just clipped on to the, to the circuit Mm -hmm. board. I think that was the original story. Um, right, which doesn't I mean, make sense so, because someone would find it. Like no one's found these chips yet, right? Like no third party has, has like found this chip and been like, "Here's here it is. Here's the proof." Right? It mm-hmm. would be easier instead to um to hack the uh, so like every mo- every like computer chip has like a uh, has what's called firmware on it, which is like a, a little mini operating system burned onto the chip. Like it'd be easier to fuck with those plans or with a piece of those plans to to put that on a on a chip. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Why re-engineer the chip when you can just re-engineer the software on the chip? It doesn't make any sense. Sure. You know, and it's like like you said about Effort Man and how nothing. You look at um, Stuxnet. You know, against the Iranian centrifuges. I mean, you talk about like the amount of effort that it took to go into that to create like a bespoke piece of software that was totally transparent could be carried, like would automatically transfer it to self to anything. It had all of these different, like, like in hacking parlance, they call there's a term zero day exploit, which is like, and this is more not on, this is on the software penetration side. But if you are like, for example, windows, you know, windows is black box software. There's, there's not like the source code for Windows doesn't exist. So you just have to like poke at it and see what outputs come out of it and try to like reverse engineer what's going on in the black box. So it's very difficult to find ways to like manipulate it as opposed to open source software like Linux or something where the code is just out there. You can see how everything works. And so the, the idea behind open source is that everybody can help and work to fix any errors to make it more secure, which is why a lot of stuff that's very high security ends up running on open source software. But um, well, it's yeah, also so the price. Was, that's mostly yeah, the, and price. the price. I, I, I but, go ahead, go ahead. I have, I have, a, oh, I have an opinion about open source software, but go ahead. Well, and I definitely want to hear it. But if you come up with the the moment an exploit is in the wild, like the moment you figure out some novel and unique way that no one's ever used before to penetrate a piece of software. The first day it's used is called the zero day. And for software companies and security companies, like every day that elapses after that, they're trying to patch the software as quickly as possible. Right. You know, by like the third, the second day, the first day, the third day, they want to release like a software update to people to install to close up that hole. And like Stuxnet had like a dozen of these exploits. They're worth like tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars individually. Mm-hmm. And this this little like thumb drive thing, but over years and years and years, using these exploits that no one knew about in a very clandestine way, it made its way all the way down into an Iranian centrifuge and shut it the fuck down. Right, like you know, that's the hardest target there is. Right, they're not allowed. No one's allowed to bring in anything. And some guy against the rules brought in a thumb drive and hooked it up to their ultra bespoke computer system, and. That was that, you know, it's it's wild. Yeah. How much of the stuff that you guys see the, you know, the projects that you're working on are the threats or attackers domestic versus foreign? 
it depends on the target. If it's if it's a high value target, you're gonna you're gonna run into some for a large enough company, you're gonna run into foreign threats more often. You're gonna run into uh, domestic threats more than like your mm-hmm. one off hacker, right? Um, right. Like you might run into if you might run into like a piece of a large network might get broken into, right? And that will use that could be like a low level hacker. It could be someone. Very rarely is it physical access because people are ballsy but they're not that ballsy right like they don't usually walk into a place and plug stuff in it happens but not as often mm-hmm. as like they find an unpatched server or they spearfish somebody uh for larger targets it requires a low and slow approach to like r- run reconnaissance on the target quietly without r- ringing any alarm bells break through one layer of security sit there quietly until you know that you're not being tracked then move up to the next level like it requires months and you have to have dedicated assets to work on that for months so right. you're going to see um you're going to you're going to see like only nation states or or like extremely wealthy criminal sure. organizations do that stuff i mean is that a real threat as far as uh you know like product development i mean large scale companies um you know are they constantly under threat for their ip and research and development being stolen by you know either other competitors or other nation states that have an interest in replicating that more often it's an insider uh for that like if it's if it's if it's for stealing ip it's going to be like an insider who sells it to a competitor or a someone who's pissed off like don't piss off your it folks people at least unless unless you've got a good severance program don't piss off your IT folks because they they hold a lot more keys than people even think that they do, especially in right. especially in modern corporate America where things are moving so fast that like security slows things down. So like they're gonna like it, the system is set up for bad security, like just the culture is set up for bad security right off the bat. Um, sure. People are encouraged to people are people are encouraged to use the same password to let everybody have access to something because it goes faster, right? Like if I just give access to everyone, I don't have to deal with the problem of like when someone new needs access, they call me and I grant, I log onto the system. I give them access that slows things down. So until we get broken into, then, you know, the guy, the IT guy who's like, oh man, things always work so much faster with Steve. It's like, that's because Steve doesn't give a shit about security. Like, so he doesn't have to do anything. Right. Um, right. And so like insiders can get access to things. Insider threats are still like the biggest. So protecting your company from the inside is like a huge issue and having monitoring so where you can even know if you've been broken into like some companies, it's if they don't have monitoring, like how, how do you even know that you're broken into? If you're not, if you don't right. have dedicated security personnel, like watching, like, you know, walking the wall, if they're not like walking the perimeter, like, how are you going to know? Like, well, especially if the attackers aren't altering anything, right? I mean, it's one thing if, you know, all of a sudden, you know, something's missing or data has been deleted or there's some kind of suspicious activity. Right. But I would guess if people are just monitoring or copying stuff. So, well, a lot well, of times, you know, it, like to, a lot of a lot of intrusion type stuff is easy to pass off as user error. You know, if, if people aren't intentionally looking down those avenues and looking for those sorts of attacks, it's like, mm-hmm. hey, man, all of our shit's deleted. Like it was you, oh, yeah. you know, it wasn't like, 
somebody came in and maliciously did it. That's just not even on your mind. Yeah. And sometimes, and this gets into more of the strategy and you only, we, it's fun to do it with larger companies because they have dedicated security teams so that you actually get into like a red team, blue team operation, which is you are an attacker and you actively have defensive personnel hunting, trying to hunt you down in the network. It's called threat hunting. Um, and you're trying to like dodge them. So then you get into like the fun pieces of like, Knowing knowing what happens during a forensic analysis, you know that like if they find some some piece of malware, they're going to try to like open it up and look and see where it's calling back to. Um, they're going to try to see, uh, you know, what, what what servers it's communicating with, et cetera, et cetera. And um, you can slow defensive people down by just leaving a bunch of bullshit on their network. So like maybe they're going to yeah. maybe they see you. But when they see you, they're going to get so wrapped around the axle chasing down um, a piece of malware or chasing down like where it's coming from and blocking access that like you're using a totally different channel for access and you're, you're hopping over to using that. So you're staying ahead of it's them. Almost like, it's almost like regular ground war. You know, it's like, oh, they've figured out a way. We know that they're going to plant mines along this area or, or IEDs. Like, and we know that they have ground penetrating radar to discover them. So now we're going to put like anti-tamper devices in the mines and try to kill them that way or whatever. Or, you know? or even better, like they have mine, they have, they have mine detectors. I'm just going to bury chunks of metal in the ground. Yeah. They're going to, they're going to spend so much fucking time digging that shit up. They're never, that they, they, like, they're never going to get to the real stuff. Like how annoying is right. that? How do you, how do you stretch out 10 mines to a hundred, make one 10 of those an actual mine? Like you don't, you don't even need mines at all. All you have to do is paint some rocks to look like it's indicating there's a minefield, and then you can just ignore that entire sector of fire. <laughs> yeah, like that's well, nobody's coming in. So what's what's on the horizon for you, man? I mean, chief research officer. Do you, like, sounds like you've already climbed uh, climbed the ladder pretty high with this organization. It's a small company. All right, so. <laughs> But where, where, where do you see yourself going next? I know earlier you mentioned, you know, that you, your guy who kind of tends to bounce around from interesting project to interesting project. Is this something that you see yourself staying in for a while? And if so, what are you going to do to kind of keep it interesting? Oh yeah. I definitely see myself staying here for a while. This is like the uh, first job I've had that I was really, really happy with. Um, I've had jobs where I like the people I work with. Um, but this job, I like the people I work with and, I like where it's going and I like what I'm doing day to day. Um, cool. I mean, growing an organization is tricky because you have to, you have to learn how to move from like a five to 10 person organization to a 30 to 50 person organization. Um, but I, everybody I work with is great. They're very talented and motivated. And that's like, makes me want to stick around for a long time. Uh, awesome, man. But doing, doing more of this kind of work, is is great like i'm just i'm just having a blast doing it excellent well appreciate you joining us today it was awesome to chat with you zach and i'm sure we will do it again yeah so. man yeah i wish everybody could see your handsome hipster face but alas i like the way that you purposely positioned your webcam so that you were shadowy it's like we're interviewing <laughs> a dude who needs a computer overlay voice like where well, when i was hacking these computers <laughs> I was, uh, yeah i like look up the um uh not to throw shade on anybody but like rapid seven which is another um pen testing company has like this ad campaign where it's like interviews it's called like behind the hoodie 
and it has like oh interviews with people who are like shadowy and then they like talk about different uh, uh like penetration tests they've done and stuff and i i'm like i'm like guys this is like a little bit a little bit extra they're a good company though right. just, i just i just the marketing was was kind of funny yeah it was Super great nice. chatting with you guys thanks again enjoy the rest of your day if you're interested in hearing more or just talking to Zach directly, you can always reach him on Twitter at Zach's 1133. That's Z-A-X 1133.